0: The curious lawyer asking the legal questions you want to know the answers to. Are you a beneficiary of a testamentary trust? Maybe you are and you don't even know you are. In today's episode, I look at the case of Carter versus the Commissioner of Taxation. This is a recent case of 2020. The case was heard in the New South Wales General Division in the full court of the Federal Court of Australia. Now there is a curious aspect about this matter and that's because there were beneficiaries in a trust that say that they weren't aware that there were beneficiaries in this trust. The implications of that was the Commissioner of Taxation, who I'll now call the Commissioner, assessed these beneficiaries as receiving trust income. So you can imagine when the ATO comes after you and makes an assessment, there's going to be additional tax you have to pay. Now, if you don't even know that you're a beneficiary of a trust, I think this is going to come as a big shock to you. That's what happened in this case. In this trust, there were four beneficiaries. There was Christina, Alicia, Nicole and Natalie. The trust was called the Whitby Trust. So just a bit of background with what happened. In the 2011 to 2013 years, the four beneficiaries were issued assessments by the Commissioner. So the four beneficiaries did what we call a deed of disclaimer. In this case, it was referred to as the first disclaimers. The commissioner accepted the disclaimers and that was the end of that matter. Come the 2014 tax year, the commissioner again issued assessments on the four beneficiaries. Again, the four beneficiaries did another deed of disclaimer but this time the commissioner did not accept that. That's what has been referred to as the second disclaimers. The commissioner said they rejected the second disclaimers and that's because they didn't disclaim it properly. Now I will go into later on what that issue was, but just for the sake of giving background information, They tried to fix up that second disclaimer by doing a third disclaimer, addressing what the little issues were. Now, the whole case is all about trying to get that disclaimers through and not be assessable on trust income. So what makes this case so curious? Well, these four women, they didn't even know that they were beneficiaries under this trust they were beneficiaries as default beneficiaries. So what the trust tried to do was assign trust income to another beneficiary, which was the trustee of another trust called the Burngard Trust. Under this trust, the Burngard Trust was not permitted to be a beneficiary and therefore the allocation to that trust was not valid. And because it wasn't valid, it's deemed that the income needs to go to the default beneficiaries. And in this case, the default beneficiaries are the four women. So when this matter went to court, the four women argued that the burngard Trust is the proper beneficiary. So they can't take any trust income in default. But then they said, even if it wasn't a valid appointment of income, they're saying that they had validly disclaimed their interest as default beneficiaries, and that was under the second or third disclaimers. Now, this went initially to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which affirmed the Commissioner's decision. They rejected the argument raised by the four women. After the tribunal decision, three out of the four women appealed to the federal court, which arose in this case. It was Christina who did not appeal the decision. So, in front of the court were three issues. The first issue was looking at the distribution of 100% of income from the Whitby Trust to the Berngard Trust for the year ended 30th of June 2014. Was it a valid distribution? And if it was a valid distribution, then the assessments issued to those four women are what they argued necessarily excessive. And they're saying it's necessarily excessive because there was no income left to be distributed to them as the default beneficiaries. Now, the second issue was quite lengthy and it was about the second and the third disclaimers. But to talk about that, I need to first go through the first disclaimer, which was about the 2011 to 2013 years. Now, as I mentioned before, that was not an issue because the Commissioner had accepted the disclaimers as effective. So later on, it did come into contention that why was it accepted and then for the following year, it wasn't. Now, the second disclaimers was about disclaiming interest in the 2014 years. And that's when the Commissioner did not accept the disclaimer. But the funny thing was, as as I mentioned, they did accept the disclaimers for the 2011 to 2013 years as being effective, but then they didn't for the 2014 year. It's somewhat contradictory, and especially so because the terms of the first D was pretty much in the same terms as the second D. So why would the commissioner accept one and not the other? Well, the commissioner did come in and say, yes, they accept that they looked to the first one as effective and the second one as not, and that was their error. But regardless, they were still pursuing with the second disclaimer as not being effective. So now this is the thing about disclaimers. When you are a default beneficiary under a discretionary trust, if you are ever going to disclaim your interest, you need to disclaim the whole of the interest, which is across any and all years. Once you accept your interest, you cannot disclaim the interest. Now, as a default beneficiary, what income you receive from a trust in one year is not a separate gift to the trust income you receive in another year. It is considered one gift. So if you disclaim at the start, you disclaim from then on. If you accept it from the start, you accept it from then on. So the problem here was that the disclaimers was for the 2014 year. And likewise with the first disclaimers, it was for the 2011 to 2013 years. It wasn't a disclaimer in full, which makes it invalid. Now, this is a decision that came down under the case called Commissioner of Taxation and Ramsden, And that was a case in the federal court in 2005. So what did the the four women do? Well, they said, okay, you want a disclaimer in full? We'll give you a disclaimer in full. So that was the third disclaimers. So the tribunal looked at these third disclaimers and they saw that even if the terms were wide enough to disclaim the gift in full, they basically said it's too late you've left too much time go to now disclaim the gift. At this time, the third disclaimer was made almost 30 months after now having knowledge of the gift. So that was considered far too late to disclaim the gift. It was in the tribunal's opinion by so much time elapsing that they had impliedly, accepted the gift and like I said earlier once you accept it you can't disclaim it. The applicants argued to the tribunal that despite the tribunal's unexplained delay in making a decision that they should not have assumed that the applicants had knowledge of the gift through their lawyer. So the court looked at a third issue And this third issue I find to be quite a stretch, but that's just me. So the issue was argued by the commissioner that if the 2014 assessment is found to be effectively disclaimed, so in other words, the four women successfully argued the disclaimer, the commissioner was arguing it's irrelevant. And they're saying it's irrelevant because the disclaimer cannot operate retrospectively. So where they got this from is they looked at Section 97 under the 1936 Income Tax Assessment Act. And under that that Act, they argued that a taxpayer becomes assessable once they are what we call presently entitled to it. So in the case of the Discretionary Trust, if trust income is not distributed, then the default beneficiaries take. And it needs to be distributed by the 30th of June each year. So in this case of the 2014 assessment, the default beneficiaries take on the 30th of June, 2014, and that's when they're deemed to be presently entitled. Now, this issue was previously raised in the decision of Ramsden, and the Commissioner acknowledges that they never challenged that point at that time, and it wasn't correct. So they're arguing it now. So... Just a brief summary of what the court found before I look into the issues further is that they said, okay, the tribunal was correct when they found that there was no distribution to the Burn Guard Trust in 2014 and therefore it should go to the four default beneficiaries. The court found the third disclaimers to be effective. And they said the tribunal was wrong to think that the third disclaimers were not effective because the four women had impliedly accepted the gift or were too late to disclaim the gift. They said the third disclaimers were not irrelevant. So in this case, the court allowed the appeal and set aside the tribunal's decisions So now I'm going to go into each of the three issues that the court considered. So with the first issue, the court considered two factors. One was about the meeting that took place about the burn guard resolution, that is the trust income going to this other trust. And the second issue was whether the guardian's consent was obtained or not. So with the meeting where it was resolved to give this other trust, the trust income of this trust, that meeting supposedly took place on the 30th of June, 2014. Now, it's important to note from the start, the four women did not initially raise this meeting in their initial objections to the commissioner. It was only once proceedings commenced that anyone ever became aware of this meeting so this kind of raised issues for the commissioner whether it actually happened or not they did put on evidence that there was a resolution made to distribute the trust income to the burn trust but apart from that there was no other evidence in addition there was actually inconsistencies in their evidence so in that part of it The court did agree with the tribunal that the resolution did not actually take place. Now, the second factor about the guardian's consent wasn't necessary to determine because of the decision they made with the first factor, but they did have a quick look at it. Now, they noted that Alicia and Alan, these were the people who were nominated as joint guardians. Now, Alicia was not even aware she was a joint guardian until April 2014. So the applicants argued on that basis her consent was not even required. But the court disagreed with that and found that the joint consent of both guardians is required under the trustee. Therefore, the purported distribution of trust income to the Burngard Trust was invalid. They further said that if an appointed guardian did not assume their position as guardian, then there is no overall guardian. And when there is no overall guardian available, then on that basis, any exercise of purported distribution is in any event invalid. Okay, so like I said, the second issue was the main issue that they looked at. So I'm just going to go over a timeline of what happened when the disclaimers were made. So on the 17th of April in 2014, the Commissioner issued the amended assessments to each applicant for the 2011 to 2013 tax years. On 4th of June in the same year, Alicia and Nicole executed a deed of disclaimer and Natalie did so the next day. The commissioner accepted those disclaimers and those were the first disclaimers. Now it was the following year, 27th of October, 2015, the commissioner issued amended assessments to each applicant for the 2014 tax year. On the 3rd of November that year, Natalie executed a deed of disclaimer and Alicia and Nicole executed the disclaimer the next day. These were the second disclaimers and we're in equivalent terms to the first disclaimers, and that's what I've previously mentioned before. That's where the Commissioner accepted the first disclaimers as effective, and then they didn't accept the second disclaimers as effective. On the 30th of September in 2016 is when each applicant executed a deed of disclaimer in broader terms, so basically... They disclaimed the entire gift and not just for those tax years. And those were the third disclaimers. So like I mentioned, the tribunal looked at all their dates when everything happened and they also looked at what is an effective disclaimer and how it's made. They did come to the conclusion that the first two disclaimers only disclaimed any interest in particular years and not the entire gift. And because of that, they said that the applicants failed to disclaim the gift in its entirety and therefore it failed. When they looked at the third disclaimers, they said, yeah, okay, it seems wide enough to disclaim the entire interest, but hey, you know what, it's a bit too late. On top of that, they also said, when you submitted the first and second disclaimers, Because you failed to disclaim it properly, you've then impliedly accepted and not disclaimed. So now the court looked to the tribunal's reasoning. How did they come to these conclusions? But the court believed that it was the applicant's intention from the start to disclaim any and all interest. And they did this. Through both their first and second disclaimers and that's despite not actually saying it was for the entire gift they looked at a case called Smeaton Grange Holdings Proprietary Limited and Chief Commissioner of State Revenue and that was in 2016 and that spoke about a failure to disclaim a gift was not taken as a tacit acceptance of the gift It was the court's opinion that it was not up to the tribunal to determine whether the applicants had impliedly accepted the gifts as one of principle dictated by the outcome in the case of Ramsden. The court said the tribunal should have looked to the applicant's conduct and whether their conduct amounted to a tacit acceptance of the gifts in the 2014 tax year, the tribunal assumed delaying in disclaiming a gift involves a tacit acceptance of a gift the court says there is no principle saying this it was in the court's opinion that only one conclusion was reasonably open and that is The applicant's primary goal was to reject any right to trust income right from the start. They looked at the time for response by the applicants. In summary, they found from the time the 2011 to 2013 assessments were issued to the time they made the first disclaimers, Was within two months. The time from the 2014 assessments were issued to the second disclaimers was just over a week and the time that they were informed of the Commissioner's rejection to the time they did the third disclaimers was within eight days. On that basis the court did not think that there was an implied acceptance by reason of delay when they considered all the circumstances. And that's even though there was a bit of a delay between the first and the third disclaimers. The conclusion that they reached was that the applicants had not lost their right to disclaim. And therefore the third disclaimers were effective. When they were asked to look at the delay in the tribunal's decision, they found this unnecessary to consider. So they went on to the third issue. Now, this third issue has to do with what I mentioned previously, Section 97 of the Income Tax Assessment Act 1936. They say, the Commissioner says, the second and third disclaimers do not have a retrospective effect. The Commissioner argued that even the second and third disclaimers are found to be valid. Disclaiming does not mean that they aren't still presently entitled to the trust income as at 30th of June 2014. And then on that basis, they have been properly assessed. The Commissioner looked to the case of Smeaton Grange in support. In that case, the issue was whether a disclaimer by a beneficiary was effective to prevent operation of some provisions in the Payroll Tax Act. The court accepted that the provision did apply. As to the facts as existed at the time, the liability arose. And any later change could not change the operation of the legislation. The applicants argued that it concerned a different taxing statute where there was a liability to pay and subsequent failure to pay traversed the liability to the joint and several members of a group. Those provisions were central to their decision where the court had to look to the construction as the foundation to ascertaining their position. In this case The central provision is section 97, as I mentioned. So what is section 97? So basically it says, a beneficiary who is presently entitled to a share of the distributable income of a trust is to be assessed on the taxable income of the trust in proportion to that beneficiary's entitlement and for the trustee to be assessed on the taxable income of a trust where there is no beneficiary presently entitled. In other words if they're entitled to the income they pay tax. So then they looked at what is presently entitled and they said the beneficiary is presently entitled if and only if the beneficiary has an interest in the income which is both vested in interest and vested in possession, and the beneficiary has a present legal right to demand and receive payment of income, whether or not the precise entitlement can be ascertained before the end of the relevant year of income, and whether or not the trustee has the funds available for immediate payment. What the court said here is the critical point is the legislative scheme only imposes the liability for tax where the beneficiary is presently entitled. So they looked at it. Were the beneficiaries in this case presently entitled? Did they effectively disclaim their interest? They said, as a matter of general law, An effective disclaimer of a present entitlement operates by way of avoidance rather than by way of disposition. In other words, it rejects the entitlement. Therefore, Section 97 is not engaged because liability arises where there is an entitlement. The disclaimer has extinguished that entitlement in what they call ab initio and that means from the start and if it happens from the start the beneficiary must be treated as never having been entitled for the purposes of section 97 and if they're not presently entitled for the purposes of section 97 then they are not liable for tax under section 97. They also noted that there was nothing in that legislative scheme indicating liability under section 97 to be determined once and for all by reference to the legal relationships then in existence as per that case of Smeaton Grange. So what does all that legal speak mean? Basically, if you are, a default beneficiary under a discretionary trust and you have trust income allocated to you, you will be, in most cases, assessed on that income. If you do not want to be assessed against that income, you need to disclaim the interest. Now, disclaiming was looked in a case called Luski and Commissioner of Taxation, and that was a case in 2017. To disclaim your interest, you need to make a valid disclaimer. When disclaiming a gift, you have to disclaim it in its entirety. The trick here, as a default beneficiary, the income a beneficiary receives each year is not considered separate gifts, it's considered as one gift. So when you disclaim the gift, you have to disclaim it in its entirety, that is for every year. Once a gift has been accepted, it cannot later be disclaimed. After that case of Luski, the ATO did release a decision impact statement in 2017, where they said, The ATO will seek to test the position about the consequence of a valid disclaimer in other cases. Now, after this case, they clearly have, and they weren't successful. Who's to say if they're going to keep testing this? Where there are trusts involved, there are a lot of factors to consider. And you can see in this case that I've just reviewed for you today, This was just only one factor to consider there are so many others so whether you're a trustee or a beneficiary under a trustee it is important that you get proper legal advice if you have a question you would like answered please ask in the comment box below i'm nicola garby from ellison legal for more information click the link in the show notes